This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and product design. I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest, Hank Adams, who's the founder and CEO of Rise Gardens. Hank, welcome to Launchpad. Thanks. It's great to be here, Carl. Give us the elevator pitch for Rise Gardens. Sure. Rise Gardens is an indoor smart garden that allows consumers to grow all sorts of flowers, vegetable, herbs, at home year round. Very productive system. All right. Well, it's, I'm going to have you describe it for us in a minute, but if our listeners are someplace safe, let me give you the URL. It's risegardens.com, risegardens.com. You can check it out and there's some great images on there. But Hank, for those who who can't take a look online, uh, describe this, the system for us, maybe describe one of the variants of the system. Sure. Right. Because you, as you uh, pointed out there, there are a couple different variants of it. You know, we designed our gardens to be modular so you could scale them up in size. You can go from a one-level system up to a three-level system, uh, and you can swap out a bunch of other components. But the basic product is we launched with a a product we call our family garden. It's about three feet wide and 18 inches deep, um, and it stands, oh, you know, 32, 34 inches high. And what it does is it's a, a hydroponic gardening system it's IoT, so you can connect it to your Wi-Fi. We have water depth sensors and, and pumps to circulate the water. And so we'll send you the seeds and the nutrients. You pop them in the system, add water, and an app will then tell you, if you tell our app what you've planted and when you planted it, our app does everything else for you. It tells you when you need to add water, when you need to add nutrients to it, um, you can... One of the neat things about our system is you can swap out a bunch of different components. So you can grow tomatoes and peppers, you know, which are big and require some sturdy support uh, to trellises, allow you to grow vining crops. We're coming out with a microgreens kit that allows you to uh, put microgreens in the system, uh, rooted vegetables, all sorts of herbs and greens. So it's a really, it has a lot of variety to it, which is appealing to any, anybody who likes to garden and grow food and cook. Um, but it also scales, you know, to your interests. You can have, start with one level system and then add levels later to it. Um, so, you know, you can get up to like 108 plants at, at a given time if you really wanted to push your production. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny, Hank, because I'm building a, a new house right now. And I, <laughs> I, I, I have a, a wall in my house that's exactly 36. I, I create a niche. presumably for a liquor cabinet, but it's exactly 36 inches wide. I was looking at your system. I'm thinking, Carl, you probably ought to put a hydro hydroponics in there instead of the liquor cabinet. That would be much better. It's a, but I think I can imagine doing it. It's a pretty attractive unit. It looks like a bookshelf almost in terms of the aspect ratio and so forth. But instead of shelves, you have these, these, well, you have shelves, but they're, they're, they're leafy. They're growing stuff on each shelf. What what we tried to do, uh, you know, describing as a bookshelf is a, is a good analogy because it is sort of that, it feels like that sort of proportionality to it. And you know, we have big spaces between the shelves where the plants grow. And, 
you know, we let you set your lights and, and time them and even, you know, change the intensity of them and all that. But really what we're trying to do, it's, it's a very, it looks very modern as, as a piece of furniture. A lot of people say to us, is this, you know, furniture that grows, you know, plants or a, a garden that looks like furniture? Because we, we really did invest a lot in the design of this thing and it's powder coated, you know, heavy gauge metal and, you know, real wood on the uprights and, you know, pretty minimalist in its design. The intent is make it look good. I wanted something that would look good in my house as well, honestly. That's that's sort of what was my motivation. When I was researching this, I found a bunch of products out there, but they were largely, you know, they had the purple lights to them yeah. or for growing, maybe not so much food, but, uh, you know, edibles <laughs> and they were cannabis focused, to be honest. And, you know, those systems are meant for basements or to be hidden away. And I, I'm like, no, I actually want something that's going to grow food and be something I, I, I want to show off. I want it to be beautiful and make the plants, you know, the highlight of the show. So yeah. I appreciate you saying that we really did spend time um, yeah. and you can't put the liquor bottles on the top, by the way. <laughs> Beautiful. And and just so our listeners know, you've got uh, several different price points, but give us a sense of what we pay for these systems. Sure. So that family garden I described, it starts at $550 for the base system, comes with basically everything you need. And then for $200, you can add additional levels on top of that to get to a three-level system. So it'd be $750 or $950. We also have a personal garden that we just launched not too long ago. And it's meant to be more countertop size. It fits underneath standard cabinets. Um, go in your kitchen. The idea is it's you know for growing herbs and greens and stuff for cooking. Um, and that product is about two hundred seventy nine dollars. Uh, and pretty soon we're going to come out with a separate microgreens product that'll be more forty to fifty dollars. So we give yeah. people different price points to enter and try. Yeah. It. So let's see, two hundred fifty bucks. I break even if I save about five trips to Whole Foods then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a smaller price tag at whole foods than than i i spent uh, <laughs> no i mean just on my just on my produce section just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but but i actually i i'm, I'm semi-serious in making that observation get, get, if we if we put aside the the big plants which i want to talk about in a minute and we're talking about growing you know greens basically which seems like the the the, the for me anyway would be the main use case herbs and greens um, how, how much stuff can I really grow in, in, in the system? You could grow, I think we, we estimate about 110 pounds of lettuce in a year if you wanted to do that. It's a lot, right? Because wow. your, average, your yeah. average salad is, you know, three or four ounces. So um, it, it's very productive. It grows a lot faster than it will outdoors because, you know, you give it a perfect amount of sunlight. The nutrients are perfect. It's never dry. It's never attacked by insects or cloudy weather or anything like mm-hmm. that. So it's it's really optimized. It grows very fast. And the other thing I'd point out about it is not only are you getting a lot of produce and it's much less expensive than buying the equivalent, you know, quality food at a, at a Whole Foods or fine grocery yeah. store, but it's got 100% of its nutrients there for you because, you know, unlike that head of lettuce, which probably grew in the Central Valley of California, it's and shipped to you for several thousand miles. It's a week old. It's lost in the first 48 hours. It's lost about half of its, you know, water soluble nutrients. So wow. it really is a, a far more nutrient dense, healthier. Of course, it's called chemical free. You know, you're not having yeah. any herbicides or pesticides applied to it. So it's a really high quality, you know, product. We estimate in about a year to 18 months, you could make up the cost that you have in the garden. It, oh. it's, you're then All in right. black, yeah. 
So that, yeah, that's legit. Well, well, what's I, I've noticed a real explosion in interest in hydroponics in the last couple of years. I suppose one effect was the pandemic, but but what explains why now for hydroponics? Yeah, I think it's time had had come for a variety of reasons. It's like like a lot of trends, you know, it's a convergence of multiple things. Um, as you say, I think the pandemic focused everybody on, oh my God, I'm gonna be at home all this time. I may, you know, early on, I may not wanna go out to a grocery store um, or buy lettuce that everybody's handled. You know, I think there was certainly some of that that drove what we saw as a huge explosion of interest in in March of last year. But I think also, Technology has come around so that the price of LED lights has dropped. The efficiency has gone up. So, you know, it costs about $5 a level, uh, you know, of electricity to run this system for us. But that is worlds ahead of where it was. Even per year. Months. Per year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Per month. Per month. Per month. In fairness. Yeah. Okay. So, so it would be about 20 bucks a month for the big system. 15 so, probably. 15. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's some cost in it, but I mean, you're putting out a lot of electric, you know, a lot of light onto these plants and you're circulating water and a bunch of stuff. And so, um, it's, uh, so it's, it's partially the efficiency of the technology. I think it's, you know, growing concern about environmental impacts of our food system and our agricultural system puts out about a quarter of our greenhouse gases, really. It's, it's a massively inefficient way of growing things that we've developed. Uh, I mean, it's efficient for growing. It's inefficient in a whole bunch of other ways, right? It's it's depleting the soil, it's depleting the water, it's a bunch of runoff, et cetera. So, you know, concern about the, the environment has played into this. I think people's rising awareness of local food, food at home, fresh food, you know, farmer's markets have exploded in popularity and that's, you know, kind of similar type of product to what we would have. So, but, you know, you can do ours year round. That's the big difference. Yeah. You know, I, I just insert a point, a very funny thing has happened in California, which is any new construction has to have solar. I, you know, my house, I just had to put the, had to put the solar in. Electricity is free to me because you have to put in enough. If you don't use much electricity in other operations, you basically have free electricity and this, and the power company won't give you very much for the excess. So there's actually an I, I wonder whether that's well, probably not yet, but I would guess that will be an impetus for finding more things to do with free electricity. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's an interesting point. California is actually uh, our biggest state in terms of sales, which is a bit surprising because from a climate standpoint, you know, California, can you can grow for you know significant portions of the year, uh, you know, outdoors. But for whatever reason, whether it's the heat or the, you yeah. know, the, the desire for the fresh food. Cause even if you can garden outdoors, it's still hard. It's, you know, I have an outdoor garden. I've been a gardener all my life, but you know, uh, the family of rabbit and chipmunks has, right. you know, <laughs> gotten the better of me for years. I still do it every year, but it yeah. still drives me crazy. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of reasons to do it. I, I think, you know, I, I'm also a gardener and I messed around with hydroponics. I, for me, uh, green greens are just better and easier hydroponically. Uh, California can be pretty hot in the summer. It's hard to get the greens to be, to do the right thing. Yeah. They so, bolt yeah. they get too hot. You're right. Yeah, exactly. I want to find out how you, how you got into this. I'm looking at your background and it looks to me like you spent 14 years in sports media and 
And I would say the pinnacle of your career, you you ran the company that gave us the yellow line in football, sports vision. How cool is that? Yeah. And then, so what What on earth led you into the gart, into the hydroponics business? <laughs> Tell us a little that's bit about more, that journey. That's a more sophisticated version uh, than the question my teenage sons asked me, which is, Dad, you went from sports technology to being a farmer. How important <laughs> is that? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, as you point out, that, and that was the, the, the third sports tech business I'd been involved at when I was a, uh, in, in graduate business school. I started a company in, in social media for sports, although we didn't call it that back in the day. And yeah, it will look to me like it was 1995. Wow, you yeah. were a true pioneer. Yeah, It was <laughs> early. It was early. And we only did social media because we couldn't afford to pay the reporters and they wouldn't write for us anyhow. So we, we, went, <laughs> we not got people to you know, post it for free. For free AOL accounts, by the way, as a as a nod to the history there. But anyhow, um, I, you know, I, I ran three different businesses in in sports tech, loved it, but ultimately, um, one, I had an interest in gardening. Two, I thought, you know, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur and spend all this life energy on trying to create something, much as I loved the yellow line, and and you know, people did love that product. It was fun. I want to do something that would have a more lasting impact. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was involved in some food nonprofits and, you know, very aware of what was going on, you know, in the food system and how not only does it hurt our environment, but it has massive impact on people's health, um, largely, you know, deleterious effects on people's health when they're, you know, not eating well and the American diet isn't so great. So, I really wanted to get into something that we could help, you know, move the needle. And while some, I mean, in my own mind, I'm aware that getting into hydroponic gardens and frankly, very nice looking, not inexpensive hydroponic gardens, isn't going to solve, you know, the, the food system writ large. Right. But sure. it does. We've given, we've sold thousands of these units and we're bringing the price down on a bunch of products and really, we are mission-driven because we're trying to get our, our systems into schools because we realize that kids, you know, we've been talked to by, you know, we've talked to a bunch of school administrators and food service people, and they say, look, we can put a, a salad bar in a, in a school. doesn't mean kids are going to eat it. They're still going to eat chicken nuggets, right? So the first step is education and getting kids excited about growing and all that. And then we've got a couple of initiatives going there, which, you know, really get us fired up here at Rice Gardens. But um it was that desire and pull to do something, you know, more mission driven. And I already had a love for it and I realized it could make a big impact. I will say this, even though, you know, we haven't been around for a decade and sold millions of units, we already have calculated we've saved uh, enough food miles to take a trip to the sun and halfway back. I mean, it's, it's really impressive how much we save because we're sending you little seeds, you know, which is nature's natural transportation system, not, you know, fully grown, uh, heads of lettuce that have to be kept in cold chain the whole entire you know journey from California. So, anyhow, if you're if you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad Sirius XM one thirty two. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Hank Adams, who's the founder and CEO of Rise Gardens. So, Hank, just reflect a little bit on what's you're you're making a physical good. I most of my entrepreneurial experience has been making and selling stuff. And it presents a different set of challenges than sports technology, I suspect. What's, what's been common across those experiences and what's been really different in selling stuff? Well, I mean, you ask a great question. Actually, I looked at your background and I thought, man, I, I wish I knew Carl two years ago. Because <laughs> when we first got going, like, you know, we really didn't have the, the manufacturing chops. 
Um, mm -hmm. I'm glad to say we've built out the team and we've you know found that expertise over time, but it, it is much harder. A lot of what we did was software in the, you know, the, the technology services business. Having said that, there are a lot of similarities and my contacts from, from my sport vision days have had really, you know, been significant and important to us. So, you know, back in the day, you may remember we did the glowing puck. That was the sport vision oh, yeah. product was that, you know, rather mocked, uh, although quite, quite uh, popular in, in the pop culture the glowing puck, you know, that we launched with. And we always manufactured, you know, tracking devices and we made our own uh, printed circuit boards and chips and inserted things. And so I went back to a lot of those contexts because we have three custom designed printed circuit boards in our system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it came to sort of electronic design and engineering, I, I leaned on some of the, the folks that had consulted to us at Sport Vision Days. So there were some commonalities to the electronics and the, uh, on the hardware side, but getting scale manufacturing and building up customer service and, you know, marketing direct to consumer, we were a business to business, you know, operation. All of that was, was new and a pretty steep learning curve and not an inexpensive one. It's, it's taken us some real money. I mean, as they say, hardware is hard. And, yeah. and so it took us, it took us some time and real money and investment. I mean, we spent two years and probably six prototypes figuring out our first product to launch. And, you know, we've made probably a hundred tweaks to it since, you know, it's, it's now pretty rock solid, but it, it, yeah. it was, it was a journey to get there. Yeah. How, how, how do you acquire the customer? So we are, we have just launched on Amazon fairly quietly. That's our first sort of third party distribution, but otherwise we are direct to consumer. So you know, usual search ads, uh, social media ads, engaging with influencers, hiring a PR firm and getting a lot of press, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, talking to uh, well-known business professors on uh, <laughs> uh, Sirius Satellite Radio, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you're right, of course. It, it's interesting how you answered that because I, I, I teach product management in the MBA program and I get to that section on acquiring customers and what I tell the students is here's a menu of the things that some people have found to be effective, but I can't tell you which one is going to really work for you. Have you found that there is something that just drives 80% of your, of your new customer, of, your, of, of the acquisition of new customers, or is it really you, it, just a real grab bag of a bunch of different things? That's a really interesting question. Um, there's no one thing I can, can attribute 80% of our sales to. In fact, I was just, you know, looking at, you know, some of the analytics uh, earlier today. And it is, you know, literally the sales are attributed to, you know, 20% is search advertising, uh, yeah. about 20% was social media, some was uh, almost 20% was affiliates and, you know, people who are will recommend the product because they're influencers for us or, you know, some, some media linkage. It, it really is quite spread out and it really is a, you know, seemingly when you first start out like a, like a black box, I mean, it is yeah. really tricky to figure some of this stuff out. Um, but eventually you do. And, you know, I think we got a million miles to go. I look at some of the companies I think do it really well. And I'm like, well, we've got, we've got, some ground to cover uh, to get to that level. But I, we did invest really heavily in product. I think we've got yeah. a fantastic product. Yeah. And 
a good, a bunch of good investors with, you know, who've helped us kind of learn as we go. Um, so I saw something, I was looking at your LinkedIn and I saw a thing I just want, a curious item I wanted to follow up on. It, it looks like you may also either have or have tried a commercial operations, Leeward Farms. Talk a little bit about that and what that's about. Yeah, yeah interesting. Uh, that's good research. Um, when I first started, you know, when I wanted to change the food supply system, the first place I went was large commercial farming. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking into, you know, growing you know, sort of like plenty or Gotham greens, or you've heard of, you know, probably a number of them, Bowery farms. Bowery. Stuff. I had Bowery as a guest not too long ago. Yeah. 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 I saw that. Um, and they're doing some really phenomenal work. Uh, I think there's room for a lot of players cause there's a, you know, a lot of hungry bellies in the United States. So, you know, it's going to take a lot of farms to, to feed them. I think eventually they will. I, I wasn't terribly enamored with the business model. You know, I'd been in sports technology and as fun and as cool as that business was, it was capital intensive. We really had to do a lot of R&D and research and investment. And uh, I, I viewed this as sort of that on steroids. I mean, these guys are raising hundreds of millions of, time, of dollars at a time. I think I think the last raise for plenty was they did a billion dollar raise. And yeah. I thought, you know, I, that's a tough model to operate in. You get you get a really convoluted cap table, you know, with that kind of money raised. And I, I hope for the best for them because I really want them to succeed. It, it will make a difference, but it's it's not a given and it's not easy. So I, I started there. And then at the time I was growing at home, I was using these hydroponic systems just to learn. And that's when the light bulb went off. I said, gosh, I think consumers could do this at home mm -hmm. very efficiently. And and we basically shrunk down our farm. We built an indoor farm. As ah. We shrunk it down. And so our system really we don't optimize around, you know, uber simple, just click a, you know, a plant in and it'll grow with, you know, you don't have to add nutrients or anything. Those systems are optimized for simple, but they're not optimized for taste and productivity. We said, no, we, uh, you know, I want something that people can eat with and try different stuff and continue to experiment. Cause you know, I mean, you're a gardener, you know, you always want to try different varieties and I think the figure is something like 30,000 edible plants uh, in, in the world and, and about 20 or 30 of them make up 95% of our vegetable diet. So there's a long way to go to experimenting yeah. and trying stuff. I mean, we actually have a cauliflower growing, growing in one of our systems, wow. full on head of cauliflower. It, it, yeah. you know, people growing watermelons. It's incredible. So, so really, in some ways, it was what we like to call pivots, right? It was a, it was, you tried one thing, you learned, and you, and then you've said, all right, the sweet spot's really over here for, yeah. for us. We maybe have time for just the last question. Talk, talk, talk a bit about how you've uh, financed this, this business. So you point out it's not massively capital intensive, but it's still, it's still manufacturing and working capital and all that. So talk a little bit about how you financed it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's public knowledge because we put out press releases. We just raised $9 million. And prior to that last year, we raised, you know, a little over $3 million in the seed mm -hmm. round. So fairly typical venture capital route. And this is, you know, the fourth time I've done this. So I've, you know, I know that path I've, I've, you know, done it before. Um, I will say this, it was harder than I anticipated it. I thought, you know, I'd been in doing a lot of tech startups and, you know, I'd been fortunate enough to have 
some, you know, profile and success. So I thought, oh, this, this will be easy. <laughs> it's <laughs> never easy. It's never easy. <laughs> I, I, I already know the answer when I say that. It sounds absurd, but I, I really, you know, naively thought I'd be able to raise the money quickly and get off and running. I ended up having to fund it, you know, to the tune of really, you know, a lot more than I had intended initially. It was, uh, it was a, a, a tough pull. And I think partially because it was hardware and manufacturing right. product, I think partially because one thing I maybe didn't appreciate about sports was, frankly, the cool factor. And I hate to say it, but, you know, investors are emotional beings like everybody. You know, there's loads of people who are like, oh, that's so cool. You'll definitely be able to sell a lot of, you know, yellow lines and baseball tracking and data and sports. But that's not always a given. Right. Um, and gardening was not as cool. <laughs> Well, I think it's super cool. And I actually, I, I, I'm actually not a sports fan. So for me, this is, this is a, a huge improvement in, 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 in direction. So I love this stuff. Um, Hank, we're, we're out of time, but uh, thanks so much for joining us. Everyone can check them out at risegardens.com. Uh, that's it for today. Be sure to follow our channel on Twitter at SXM business. To follow me, you can go to my website, KT Ulrich. That's K T U L R I C H.com, or follow me on Twitter at KT Ulrich. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 